This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirits solve the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it never feels good when your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation and botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails and you'll find those in the seedlip cocktail book or on their instagram account at seedlip underscore na so head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit they're available in canada and in the u.s and now at lcbo stores across ontario again that is seedlipdrinks.com and thisfamilytree10 Hello everyone, I'm Alex and I'm here with my husband Shane and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour on this Family Tree Podcast episode 163. And we're back from our vacation. <laughs> we're back from our vacation. We recorded the intro four times because of various mishaps. Alex got grumpy with me. Shane choked on water. There was perfume in the water and I stand by that. And somebody's putting perfume in the water. But folks, we have Carrie Dore tonight. So she is the founder of Pure Bar, which you have very likely heard of. She started it in the janitor's closet of a Detroit building years ago. Did she really? Fascinating story. And don't get frowny eyes. I'm just saying there's a lot of stories of people coming from janitor's closets, <laughs> these rags to riches stories. So she did. It, it is a fascinating story. And we get into that. We talk about, you know, making the leap into your own business, whatever that passion is. And then also because she is in the, you know, workout fitness sphere, we talk about the importance of movement in family life and in your kids and how we can integrate that more fluidly. Yes. And I totally believe her. I don't want, if she's listening to the intro, to me to suggest that I think she's not telling the truth. But it's, you do hear these stories often of people saying, I started in the closet or like, you know. When well, they- I guess it's more interesting to interview somebody on a podcast when they have one of those stories rather than somebody who is like, yep, been rich, always been rich, grew up rich, <laughs> born rich, still rich. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. But you know how when someone is adopting a dog, it's always like, they're a rescue. Well, because they are rescues. You have this thing with it, Shane. They are freaking rescues. Shane doesn't understand this. Like people can go to a puppy mill and get, you know, a designer puppy for $5,000 from a family who just churns out puppies. Or you can get a dog that maybe somebody got from a puppy mill and then didn't want and or abused or whatever, just didn't want. And then rather than put them in a kill shelter, they adopt them and they rescue them. I understand that. But a lot of people try to imply that the dog was beaten. Sometimes they are. Well, the beatings are out of control then because way too many dogs are being beaten. Every time I talk to somebody and they say it's a rescue, it's like, yeah, I was left in a cage with no food or water. And it just, it feels like the the percentage of these rescues is way too high. Shane, there's a lot of shitty people who mistreat animals. A way lot. too many. Yes. Almost. Okay. Shane, and here's the thing. And if you're getting just like the, you know, rags to riches, been rich, born all the way, whatever. If somebody's getting a dog from a shelter, you, there's going to be a huge number of them that were abused, right? Yes. It's just I feel like a, people want like some humanitarian award when they do that. So then they probably go and look for a rescue dog. 
I know, but some of these dogs are just living their best life in these. Well, now they are. Okay. But moving on, <laughs> we, this is the vacation. We're back from our vacation. Get out. And we're back to our old tricks of just, you know, you get out, you get out of vacation. The fairy tale ends. You're back to reality. Your face goes from just bronze god to just cold, angry Canadian guy. Yeah. Kidding. But Shane, look, wait, to keep the vacation going, we have a seed lip margarita tonight, non-alcoholic margarita to bring you back what do you think too limey let me, let me for taste you? oh yeah that's tasty <laughs> i like that i like that seed the margarita all right shane so let's get into it we just got back from a week at the dreams jade resort in puerto morelos which is like a little south of cancun first impressions of that resort like when we walked on I'm a guy who doesn't really have high expectations, I guess. But that being said, going into this conversation, as long as everyone knows that, they were exceeded, I thought, because the kids club was great. Sometimes uh, kids clubs can be shady. Okay. I was asking just like first impressions on getting there. Oh, sorry. I'm jumping way deep. Okay. (laughs) First impressions on getting there. Like just like on you, your the way you handle. No, so like all sorts. So like walking in, I'd only been to two other inclusives prior to going here to Dreams Jade. So I had been to one in Jamaica with you, and then we had been on, to one in Mexico. It may have the bit been the Ryu Palace or something. I don't know, something like that. And upon walking in, this one impressed me because number one, the air conditioning was working in the lobby, which was not the case in Jamaica. And number two, it wasn't as big as the one we stayed at for your friend's bachelor party. That one was just huge. And it really, I found it overwhelming. So I liked the size of it. Okay. I thought this was fairly big to me. Was it? See, I don't know. You've been in more than me. Yeah. It felt big. I It felt even bigger than the one we went to. Really? That's what I, that's the way I remembered it. But the pools look nice. The beach looked nice. I don't know. It's like all these all-inclusive resorts look the same. <laughs> I know. That's why I can't really give an impression. You're more anti-all-inclusive resort. So mm. my opinion, it's, I don't know. Well, so it was funny. Somebody asked me today on Instagram, how did you choose that one? I have such a hard time choosing a resort to go to. And I was like, oh my God, me too. I didn't even have to choose this one because a bunch of our friends booked it there. So we booked it there just to follow suit. So the choice was made for us. But if it was left up to me, I would hem and haw about it for six months before pulling the trigger on anything. And then I'd be so second guessing my decision the entire time. You know, like it's it's hard. I can have fun in a dumpster, honestly. Same. But I want to give everybody around me like the best chance at fun and good stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you mad at me? I'm having a hard time talking tonight. Talking to me or talking in general? Talking to you. Why? You don't like me? No, I like you. You don't like my answers? I like you. No, you're just like, you're less um, conversational. You're you're more just, you're stopping. Like that. That's BS. <laughs> you, you were in a bad mood. The second you get back from vacation, you get all in a bad mood and you start playing the blame game. What? You're I've mad. had a hard day. Okay, so you got in a car accident okay, today. 
<laughs> so maybe it's the fact that you got in a car accident and you've been crying for two hours about it. Uh-huh. And you want to blame me for being a poor storyteller. All right, guys. And just to let you know, everybody is okay in the car accident. Nobody was injured. It was just paint getting scraped off a car. Imagine people were injured and you like, <laughs> it was vehicular manslaughter. And we're just still doing a podcast about all-inclusive resorts. You're in cuffs. Oh, anyway, moving on. Because thinking about the quote-unquote car accident is going to make me cry again. But. Hey, I want to just say back to the what? car accident for one Jeez. second. So Alex has this thing her whole life, and I'm proud of What? Okay, go ahead. Okay. So Alex (laughs) stopped me here thinking I was going to embarrass her, but I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm actually proud of you. Okay. Because your whole life up until today, when something like this happens, you call your dad instead of me. (laughs) And there was two instances where you've actually come to me and talked to me about issues because you have this perception that i'm going to i don't know get upset or not know how to handle it or something but you came to me before you called your parents i did i didn't even realize that right away yeah and i think it's a huge milestone in our relationship (laughs) and i kind of i I was a little caught off guard and you were asking me for advice how to handle it and then i was like i don't i don't really know i haven't really been in a fender bender I'm like, maybe call your dad. (laughs) (laughs) So Shane's advice was to call my dad. But still, I say call me first. You know, family, household matters, call me first. (laughs) And if I advise to call your dad, then call him. And my dad was really helpful, obviously. He gave great advice, which I took and it worked out really nicely. Um, But it's a tricky situation. Like, it, it was a hard situation. It was you know, a mishap with somebody that I'm going to see every day for the next several years. Um, And it was just humiliating. Like, I'm so embarrassed by – because it was my fault. That's the the thing. It was totally my fault. Because we talk, you have a bit of a hard break foot and hard initial gas foot. It had nothing to do with that. I was going like one and a half miles an hour trying to to inch around a car. That's what I mean. Because a snowy parking lot. Because it's snowy. But your initial foot on your full, full, first push mm-hmm. is always a little harder. So I think you that first gas push bumped into the car. No, it was just... It wasn't that? No, it was just I think I, I took it too close. Because like it was the tail of my car oh. that scra- scraped up against the other car. You have been doing a lot of tight turns lately and jumping curbs. Oh. You jumped one today. Yeah, and then I jumped it intentionally after the car incident so that I could park somewhere safe and I couldn't get down the ramp because that's how I got in the the accident in the first place, trying to go down the ramp. So then I was like, I'm just going to go park over there and I'm doing this on purpose. And then I went over the sidewalk and then parked somewhere. You're still twice the driver I am. Three three (laughs) times the driver I, I am. I just get more practice at it. Yeah, but I can't park. Well, we all have our our things. Okay. <laughs> but Shin, let's get back to let's get back to the trip. So Dream stayed, stay there. Dream's Jade stayed there for the week. And honestly, I was pleasantly surprised. I was really happy. And what surprised me the most is that I was expecting it to be parenting in a different place kind of thing. And it was tricky, like you know, getting up and getting the kids on the airplane because we had to wake up at 3 a.m. And all that was real tricky and we were exhausted by the end of the first day. But the rest of the week 
was actually, like actually relaxing. And not in the sense where you're just laying there napping or whatever, but relaxing in a, in a parenting sense, whatever the hell that means. Like Lucy ended up falling in love with the kids club, like Shane said. And that was a godsend, that place. It was just run by this woman named Anna and, you know, a bunch of other workers. And they just played with the kids all day. We didn't think Lucy was going to stay there every day. We thought, oh, maybe, you know, a couple hours every day she can go and you and I can get a break. She did not want to hang out with us. Like she effectively ditched us. Oh, no, that was very predictable because Lucy loves play. She just loves people. The reason she loves camp is not because she loves basketball because she goes to a basketball camp. It's just people. She's so people centric that I knew it. you'd need a team of horses to get her out yeah, of there. But we had, we had like our friends' kids playing in the pool and she just wanted to stay in the kids club area. Yeah, but that she just likes being around kid ecosystems mm-hmm. with other parents there's too many parents they outnumber yeah. the kids she likes the lord of the flies type kids <laughs> world so we had lucy off at the kids club and we also had Ro- yeah. what roseanne we had nona oh i'm, I'm sorry <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that deserved such a oh yeah <laughs> no because i'm thinking about how well we had this worked for it to be relaxing yeah so you know if your kid isn't into kids clubs and you don't have a grandparent on the trip with you might be a little bit harder than we had because we were really vacationing it up as much as humanly possible for for two parents Mm -hmm. so i was i'm i do another podcast and i was talking about this how we were you know kind of managing the trip better than a lot of other people who didn't have as much help or whose kids weren't as into the kids club. Right. And it was making my friend, I feel like a little jealous. Yeah, it was it was pretty sweet with the position that we had it. And we haven't as a family actually gone away on an international trip ever without a grandparent. No, we're very 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 blessed and I feel like I'm a better parent than other people because I'm relaxing more and I always forget <laughs> That we're so blessed in that yeah. way. Not to overuse the word blessed. <laughs> Shane's never said blessed in his life, and no. Well, it applies here. No, it does. It absolutely does. And it, it does help. Um, but yeah, the resort was great. I was like digging all the food. The food was, I thought, so good. The breakfast, there was a woman doing up like Mexican breakfast every morning, which I'd stick to generally. And then... <laughs> For dinner, I don't know. I loved everything. I wasn't so sure that Nona liked everything, though. (laughs) (laughs) This is the funniest review ever. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm having a hard time. I've been rattled tonight. Okay. Um, So the resort was good, okay? We could just leave it at that. Uh, Alex, what? Do you not want me to? No, I thought it was better than good. Yeah, I know, but I feel like we're not dis- describing it properly. Okay. I did it in an Instagram post. You guys can go and read yeah, that. Yeah, go it's a better check review. out Alex's Instagram. <laughs> uh, she she had a clear head. She wasn't as rattled. But do we have anything else to talk about? Or was this all vacation-centric? It was all vacation-centric. But I do want to give a shout-out to Flair Airlines. So, like, we I'm not working with them or anything. You know, this trip is on our dollar. But Flair... I was hesitant to book with. I booked with them only because we booked this whole trip last minute, right? Because there was still 
like time and all our friends were going, whatever. So when I booked this trip last minute, it's actually a fallacy. Like, you know how because of hot wire vacations and things like that, you think that if you book something last minute, you're actually going to get a great deal because they need to load off their seats and their hotel rooms and things like that. That's a fallacy. Things are way more expensive. So not hotels, but airlines. Airlines. So I was booking two weeks out and for a family of four, to fly down to Mexico. Maybe I had Roseanne in there too, so a family of five. It was looking at, from like Air Canada or WestJet, $10,000, Shane. This should be a $3,000 thing for a family of five. Oh my goodness. We paid for a round that trip. Much? No, but we paid a stupid amount. 6000 S- Stupider. 7000 Just under. What the heck? <laughs> But so it was really stupid. However, folks, where this deal gets sweet is like, you know, we got we got because we were with a group. So we got a really good rate on the hotel, uh, which actually made it come out to still thousands of dollars cheaper than an all inclusive vacation would have been had we, you know, gone regular price. So it was still good. But Flair was shockingly good. So a lot of it had to do with the airport we flew out. If we flew out of like a tiny rinky-dink airport in Kitchener, it was heaven. It was beautiful. Customs was nothing. Check-in was nothing. But then Flair itself, I had been reading all these horror stories online of people like, and people were messaging me. They're like, oh, bring your own life vest because you're going down, giving me really scary messages that I wasn't going to share with you because you're a scared flyer. But I was getting a little nervous. And then Everything was great. Like the staff on Flair was great. The rides were smooth. People told me they didn't even have water. They have water. They have food. You and I got pizzas. Like they got everything except for charging outlets. Yeah. And we talked to a flight attendant friend who actually said that Flair has the newer planes. So it's safer maybe. Yeah. Yeah. She said their whole fleet is like way newer than the WestJet planes or the Air Canada planes. So. Yeah, no, it was great. So shout out to Flair. Thanks for the, the nice flight that they're ever listening. So the resort was good. The flight was good. Yes. What else we got here, Alex? Well, what about me? What'd you think of me in vacation mode? Because you and I mm. on vacation do a great job together, Shane. I think that we both yeah. really are able to let loose. And like you, we didn't get any petty disagreements, really. At the beginning, maybe a little bit. And I'm trying to get back better at accepting the way I am and better at accepting the way you are because we have a very different philosophy on movement. Oh, Shane means like through the airport. Yeah, through the airport. And even when you're excited, you tend to move so fast that you will walk at least a football field and a half in front of us. And when we're with <laughs> we're with Roseanne and sometimes it's like, what are we doing? What We're trying to blow Roseanne out of the water here with walking speed. I wasn't trying to do anything. I'd have a kid in my arm and I'd just be trying know, to get to a line in dinner. A kid, with a kid in your arm, mm-hmm. it's easier. And we're racing towards nothing. So racing s- toward the dinner lines so I can get us a spot. We don't need a spot. The, the resort wasn't at full capacity. It was very easy to get a spot, especially at the times we were going enjoy the moment slow down a little bit would be my advice Mm -hmm. because sometimes like we went into the city one day and you're rushing into the city rushing like our life's dependent on it and what are we rushing to to casually walk around a beach and have a beer (laughs) so why are we killing ourselves like we're late for some appointment that it doesn't exist 
let's go. I I I said to you at one point, mm-hmm. I go on vacation to slow down, not to speed up. And after that conversation we had, I found everything went a lot better. But up until that point, I was a little like, hey, hey, you know. Yeah. But that was what, day two? That's what I mean. I'm yeah. just saying, like, we're being honest. Now you're mad that I brought that up? No, I forgot about it. I, Me too. Because oh, clearly you did. I feel like you've been harboring it. No, I, I'm just bringing it up for our listeners. Why Why do you hate the truth? I don't hate the truth. You're, do you know who you I remind forgot, me Shane, of? I was, I was looking back with rose-colored glasses already. You remind me of Tom Cruise in the movie A Few Good Men. <laughs> do you know why? Because he couldn't handle the truth, as Jack Nicholson famously said. He said, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. No. And that's like you sometimes. Well, look, and you started off even saying that by saying, you know, I got to see how I am and reflect on how I am. But then you railed on me. That wasn't self-reflection. That was saying what I do wrong. I know. So for me, I'm trying to accept you moving at a faster speed. And after that conversation... Just like me getting it out and telling you, I want to go on the vacation to slow down, not to speed up. You still continue to go a little bit fast. But I was like, she knows she'll calibrate. And sometimes you'd be a football field ahead. You'd look back and be like, okay, Shane's walking with a toddler who I can't drag. I'm carrying a baby who you can run with at your own pace. Maybe I'll go catch up to Shane. Well, then what do I say when you're dawdling? But... Why Why would you want to run on a vacation in a half-empty resort where there's no, no reservations ever needed and we're never late for anything? Well, sometimes it's just nice to go someplace because the kids are acting up or the, something like that. The kids and if were we're never dawdling, acting up. The kids were never acting up. Oh, get out. <laughs> the kids were acting up so much of the trip. They didn't stop acting up until like our second last day. Okay, Alex. So what is it? it- <laughs> Was the trip much better after the second day or worse? No, it was because I think we acclimatized and then we just stopped. Um, we just didn't care if the kids were acting. We were handling it, but we weren't letting it bother us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there were a lot of meltdowns and stuff just because I think they were overstimulated. But No, I didn't notice that. I, I, I honestly, I never notice children screaming. My brain cannot register it because it, to me, it's just the thing that kids do. So I can't, I can't even remember times. Usually I just kind of look at you and laugh when the kids are like yeah. really screaming. But my brain doesn't register it the way I would if you and I were having a disagreement. Because those feel mm-hmm. real. Kids feel frivolous and fake. Oh, absolutely. Lucy lost it on me and told me she didn't like me as a mom wanted to go back to Mexico tonight because I didn't go in and get her a snack at the gas station when I gassed up the car. But you seem I, really hurt by that right I now. I told her we had snacks at home. And she freaked out and started kicking my car seat. It was awful. And this was after the car accident. Yeah. Well, you know, every day Lou tells me she likes mommy better than daddy. I needed to hear a little of that tonight. She had none of it for me. Yeah. But what I mean is we had, you and I had very minor issues up until the second day. And then nothing afterwards. And anything the kids were acting up, I didn't even notice. Yeah. No, I I think that we both tuned into a real good spot after that second day and we, we really found a group and the second we got home we tuned right back into <laughs> that bad spot which we're currently still no, in. it's just it's high stress like everything at home is high stress because you know you're 
TV show is 24 hours a day. Your work day for your nine to five is 12 hours a day. No. And then the social media stuff is 24 hours a day and parenting is 24 hours a day. So it's like, where is the time to chill out and let your brain relax a little bit? And then it makes you high strung. It clearly makes me high strung because listen to me. And uh, I just want to be back in Mexico too. I'm with Lucy. I want to be back in Mexico eating tacos. You think I'm high strung? Right now? Not right now, Shane. This second, you're not high strung, okay? Tonight, have I been high strung? No, but okay, in general, but you've okay. actually been very lax tonight. You've helped me through talking about the little car accident thing. I've been lax since I got back. You're the one who's the <laughs> second you got in was all stressed. No, you did something when we got home that was high strung, but I can't remember what it is. Let me I think of it. I had a lot of gas, okay? And I was holding it in the plane. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I say with that, let's get to our interview with Carrie Dorr. Okay, but before we do that, let's let everyone know who we are supported by. We are supported by the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor. This is the most accurate sleep and breathing monitor ever. And my favorite reason for liking it is that it makes no physical contact with your baby like other smart monitors do. You stole my answer. Now, what do the other smart <laughs> monitors do? They grab the kid, they toss it around. <laughs> Essentially, you have to like wrap a thing around their chest or make them wear a sock. Ugh. But Miku uses sensor fusion technology, which is like military grade army stuff. Mm -mm. And it just watches your kid from above and ensures that they're safe. And it works with your smartphone to alert you of changes to your baby's vitals or nursery conditions. But do you know who won't be watching your babies from above? Those hackers. Yes, Shane, they use crypto security, which means there's no hacking. Sorry, guys and gals, not to be sexist, but I guess everyone can be a hacker. <laughs> it's true, it is 2023. And the Miku Pro Smart Baby Monitor offers HD video and photo and amazing night vision, like the best that I've seen. And there are also custom dual Ole Wolf speakers and a two-way microphone, which means that Miku not only plays original sleep sounds and lullabies, but that you can talk to and comfort your baby. So head on over to MikuCare.com and use the promo code FAMILYTREE10 for 10% off. This is available in the US only. And again, that is MikuCare.com and FAMILYTREE10. But we are also supported by Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable kids and babies clothing company founded and created in Toronto. Probably the most comfortable clothes in the world. I would say that's not an exaggeration. Like they are. And I was always so jealous that my kids got to wear them because they're soft, they're cozy, they're timeless, and they can be passed from kid to kid regardless of gender. But wait, they didn't make a women's line, did they? Mm hmm. They made a woman's line. What? So, no, I'm jealous. <laughs> so now I don't have to be anymore. And their women's line is the M and West collection. So this is all the same simple fabrics that you loved. It's all French terry. It's ethical and sustainably made. And it's got that coziness. And it's the first thing I throw on when I come home from a day at work. It really is my go-to collection. And all of their organic cotton fabrics, both for Mini Miosh and M & West, are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low-impact non-toxic dyes. So you can find the company online at minimiosh.com or at minimiosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. It's available in Canada and in the US. And again, that is only one use per customer. So load up your cart. 
But again, that is minimiash.com and this family tree 15. And now let's get to our conversation with Carrie. Carrie, let's get started. It is so nice to have you on this family tree podcast. Everybody has heard, everybody I know has heard of Pure Bar or if they have not been to it themselves. And you are the woman behind that. What surprised me actually when I was doing a little research in your backstory, you started it in, correct me if I'm wrong, you started it in a janitor's closet in Detroit. It's true. Are you a Detroiter? I am. Yeah, I recognize, I can hear a little bit of your um, A's and O's, which are very similar to the Michigander A's and O's, you know? We love Detroit in this house. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually, I grew up in a little town called Plymouth, which is between Detroit and and Ann Arbor. I I went to Michigan State in East Lansing, and then I ended up going to law school in Detroit, in the city, but it was a very different time. It was, you know, let's see, I graduated from law school in 99. And so uh, Detroit's been through quite a lot of changes since then. Big time, big time. So, you know, graduating from law school, living in Detroit, what is inspiring you to say, hey, that janitor's closet has a lot of promise. Let's start a boutique fitness room in there. (laughs) (laughs) How do you get from law school to that? (laughs) Right. I know it seems like a far jump, but it wasn't. I am. you know, I grew up half my life is spent in a dance studio and the other half is spent on the soccer field. So it's always been this very interesting intersection for me of, you know, although I consider dance to be a sport, uh, you know, more the athletic kind of sports and conditioning side of soccer with the kind of, oh, you know, graceful strength side of dance. I think where I really excelled from the beginning was in choreography. So I started doing that just for my neighborhood, like in the basement, you know, uh, recruiting my brothers to be reindeer in the um, <laughs> Christmas pageant in my <laughs> all sorts of things. And, and so I, I really had just this knack for choreography. And um, when I was 18, I auditioned for a company that toured and, and choreographed performances all over the country. And that's how I spent my summers in uh, college and in law school. And I started teaching fitness uh, at the same time. So at 18, I started teaching step aerobics and that's where it all started. And then when I got out of law school, I practiced for a couple of years, paid off my loans. I had to quit all my dancing gigs, but I kept up all the fitness stuff. So I was still teaching in the big box gyms, like everything, you know, back in the day we could call it spinning. Um, now we call it cycling, but um, that and step aerobics and I was teaching on the treadmill and loved, just loved group fitness. It was a natural transition for me to go from being like on the dance team and leading, leading large group performances and being on a soccer team to group fitness, right? Um, and after two years of practicing law, I thought, you know what? I loved law school. I just don't love being a lawyer. And I was teaching at like, um, you know, 5 a.m. before I'd go into work. I teach Pilates at noon to the, to the administrative staff in my office. And um, I thought I want to do this full time. I don't want to do this just a couple hours during the week. And um, and that's it. The janitor's closet. The reason it happened was because in 2001 in Metro Detroit, no landlord was about to lease me a space. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had zero credit, zero business experience, no backers. And the guy, the landlord, I, I really remember this conversation. He was like, I don't want any sort of pilots class or barre <laughs> going on. It's never going to make it. And I was like, no, 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 it's Pilates and bar. And it's not like a dance club. Like, 
So he had this janitor's closet in the basement. It was 600 square feet. I had to really hard sell him, convince him to, to just lease, to give me a try, like give me a chance and uh, move out the mops. You're not making money on the space anyway. There's no bathroom. No one's going to take it. You know, no one else wants to pay yeah. for this space. And that's how it happened. He's, he finally said fine. And that was it. That's wild. Honestly, like we the last time we were in Detroit was in November. We went for a little lover's getaway because it's an incredibly romantic destination, shockingly. And that shocks me that you had such a hard time renting it because there are so many, still so many vacant spaces there. And that's, you know, that's its own hurdle, it seems like. Well, yeah, the, the irony is years later, I mean, keep in mind, this was this was a town called Birmingham. So it was in the, the suburbs of, mm-hmm. of Detroit. And it, that concept, Kierbar would have never flown in Detroit in 2001. It, it, it The city's really changed. But Landlords didn't want to take the risk of renting to a 20-something-year-old with a concept they have never heard of, even if it was 600 square feet. So that's why. And the, I, what I was going to say is the irony is fast forward years later, when Pureware became what it was, then like, you know, uh, commercial landlords would seek me out saying, well, we have a space. Would you want to put your concept in it? And I just thought, isn't this funny? Because in 2001, this is the same thing I was doing, but um, no one would give me space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, like, so Pureware is obviously such a successful business, a successful brand, a successful model. It's it's everywhere. Like I said at the top, it, I don't know one person in my friend group who hasn't heard of it or hasn't been to one of those studios at some point in their life. But running a business and then turning it into, you know, an empire of sorts is so difficult. And that takes a huge leap in so many aspects of your life, in in your financial state, uh, your mentality, your self-confidence. How did you decide like, okay, I'm really going to start expanding? Did that happen naturally or was it something that you were pushing for, pushing for and had to work out? Yeah, the opposite. So I wasn't pushing for it. You know, when I was in my early 20s and had my first space, I was just so in love, as you heard me say, my my background was truly like movement and choreography and helping people move their bodies. And I had no intention of franchising or expanding. I really was just in the trenches every day, creating all this programming, um, which is still to this day what I enjoy doing most and um, sharing it with people. And then what happened was people would come visit from other cities and say, well, how do I get that? I love this workout. How do I get it in Lexington, Kentucky? How do I get it in Birmingham, Alabama? You know, and I'm naming some of the first cities we actually expanded to. And for a while I said, well, you don't like, I don't have the bandwidth. I'm not that interested. And then eventually I just thought that this woman would do great with it. And so many women would benefit from this program. Let's figure it out. And so I started licensing again, like it took years for me to say yes to that. And then when I found the right people, that first group of licensees is really what helped shape the franchising program. They were great people. Uh, and we had an awesome relationship. And I was able to say, like, well, what do you need? Oh, we need music. Okay. <laughs> of course you need music. And what we need a training manual and we need all that stuff, right? And uh and figured out how to streamline it all. And then I had moved to the West Coast to San Diego. I sold my studio in Michigan. I got on a plane with a suitcase and a Craigslist rental, no car, no furniture. And landed in San Diego to see if I could make it fly there. Rented a space three mornings a week, 9.30 to 10.30, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, (laughs) and started teaching it. And uh, it grew. And then we opened four locations, four licensees in San Diego 
over the next couple of years while I lived there. Uh, and then I thought, well, I'm going to do the same thing in Los Angeles. So I picked myself up and moved to LA uh, and kind of the same thing, except one day I was walking home to my apartment and someone jumped out of the bushes and said, are you Carrie Rezebeck? Which I was at the time. And I said, yes. And I got served by the state of California. Um, and it turns out a competitor, which I I won't name any names, had called the state and did not like that I was expanding up the coast of California. And they said, you're fran- your franchise, you're, you know, you have to convert now. And so that was, that was truly the story of how I turned into a franchise. Oh my I, gosh. I, I had no choice. That's, that's wild. And it's like already, you know, that that's so many kind of turns. And I like to ask women who are, you know, starting a business on their own because, you know, it is so different now than it used to be. There are so many female CEOs, women in business, but I do feel like a lot of the time our paths are still different from our male counterparts. Mm -hmm. And I am curious, what has been the most difficult phase for you in being an entrepreneur? Um, And what was it that you learned from it or took away from that? Mm, That's a good question. Being an entrepreneur, I mean, let's see, I'm 48 and a half, as my kids would say, as of yesterday, <laughs> you got to add the half. Congrats. So, on um, right. It's important. <laughs> half. Yeah. Thanks. That's right. You know, if I'm still at this in a year and a half, it'll mark my fifth decade of being in this industry. Right. Um, Cause I started at 18 and I'll be in my fifties. And so there's a lot, I think that there's so much about entrepreneurship that's misunderstood or that people don't really know. Uh, it's an emotional roller coaster, right? And I think a lot of people just see the wins, they see the success. And the truth is like, you know, I started Pure Bar in 2001. It didn't really start making any sort of profit until like 2008. I lived out of my car. I moved myself all over the country. Um, I loved it. As far as being a female entrepreneur, you know, I didn't know any other way. It's kind of like, um, you know, when, when you don't know any other way, you do what you do. And I, I was kind of in my own zone. And I will say now at this stage, looking back, the mentorship would have been nice. Like I didn't have that mentorship or network that I see men kind of organically have more so than we do as women. Um, and I think that makes a huge difference. I think having kind of, I'm reading Michelle Obama's book now, and she calls it her kitchen table, you know, kind yeah. of that when she's referring to her friend group. And I think if I would have had like that kitchen table early on, it would have probably made a lot less, you know, missteps. Absolutely. Well, that's a, a huge and instrumental community, I think, when you're getting involved in anything, hell, like just in, in raising kids. That is a very important part of that community. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, you said that women, like, this would be so good for women. If I could open this up, this would be so great for them. If we could go to Birmingham, to Lexington. What about your program and what you do is so good for women in, in your mind? Well, first, let me say, I'm always been a huge proponent of movement. Like, if the programming I create back then, it was, you know, back then it was Pure Bar. Now it's 044. If those programs resonate with you and they work for you, great, do them. But if they don't, let me help you find something else that does, right? And that's kind of when I, I every year I go and speak at business schools at MBA programs. And that's the number one question they ask consistently every year is, well, how did you sell it? How did you market? How do you sell what you do now? How do you market it? And I'm like, 
here's how I sell it. This is what I've created around the stage of life I'm in. And here's what's really working for my body. Let me show it to you. I'll share it with you. And if it works for you, great. And if it doesn't, let me find something it does because moving your body every day is extremely important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I always try to be really aware of that because you don't want to throw anyone else's program under the bus because I think all movement is good movement. That being said, I think quality of programming is a differentiator. I think it's a huge deal. And because of my background, that has always just come naturally to me. So to answer your question more specifically, I essentially create programming for myself, right? And that's how O44 came up. When I I was in my 20s, I created Pure Bar and that program worked spectacularly for me for many years. And then I hit a different phase of my life, different age, you know, had kids. And I was like, this is not producing the same result physically or mentally for me. Mm-hmm. I need something different. And that's when I went to work, you know, 44, but that's really how I create programming. And I do believe that flow and choreography and rep, you know, how many repetitions and how you're moving from one movement to the next, they all make a huge difference on, on the results. So I know, uh, like, oh, 44, you know, you're focused on strength training and strengthening your body. But in what way is it different than any other programs that you've done? Yeah, it's actually very different. When if I we earlier when I said, you know, I'm kind of this interesting intersection of soccer and dance, I'd say Pure Bar was more on the dance side, pulled in more of the dance and Pilates side of things. And if mm-hmm. you've heard of the term, you know, the method Lottie Burke, which was around many, many years ago, pulled from that, whereas O44 really pulls more from the soccer end of things, right? The more traditional sports and conditioning larger range of motion, heavier resistance. It uses, there's cardio in there as well. So it uses um, a plyometric box. It uses kettlebells um, instead of two and three pound weights, you know, or, or 10, 10, 12 pound weights, a 20 pound kettle, a medicine ball. So that type of work. And whereas pure bar programming was more high repetition, lightweight, this is more middle of the road repetition, heavier weight, and it goes from large range of motion to small range of motion. And um, those were just changes I need to make. I needed to make for myself in my daily workout. Mm-hmm. And so they're built into the program. When I when I had my first studio, I had four reformers and I, I created this programming called um, R2, supposed to be like reformer to the next level. And it was essentially choreographed reformer. Uh, and so I've brought that back with O44 programming. And so, you know, I my Pilates training is extremely traditional, which I'm so grateful for. And um, this is not traditional, this O44 <laughs> program. <laughs> I mean, taking a kettlebell on the reformer, my Pilates, uh, the woman who trained me in Pilates, who was brilliant and very close, you know, in, in discipleship to Joseph, um, would roll over if she saw what we were doing, you know. But um, it's just, it's a modern approach and it's different. And um I still have a lot of respect for traditional Pilates, but this O40 programming is for O44 programming is, is very forward thinking. Things evolve, things evolve. And I think that in every facet, you know, we need to get on that and understand that. And I want to kind of pivot and just talk about wellness in general, because I know you're a mom as well. So if you mm-hmm. could tell me about how mm-hmm. you bring that, like you're obviously a very active person. I mean, that is your entire livelihood. It is, you know, your hobby. It's what you do as a passion. How do you bring that into parenting? Because I find that in parenting, in postpartum, whatever, when life gets busy and you've got kids running around, you've got to take them to all their programs. You're trying to, you know, keep 
possibly a relationship with your partner, anything like that. Fitness and movement and wellness for women often take a backseat and it can be hard to keep that up. So how do you how do you integrate that into your life as just a person, a busy yeah. person? Yeah. I know. It's so challenging. I, I know I mean I get it. I have my kids are nine, nine, and ten. And um, and so so you can obviously backtrack and do the math. They were one, one, and two, and two, two, and three. And it's easier now, right? I mean, back when they weren't in school and and they were infants. Um, three of them, extremely challenging. I'm mean, very fortunate to have a partner that we both know how much of a priority our physical and mental health are. And so we cover for each other. But if I didn't, you know, it, it, I, I, for me, it's like brushing my teeth. Like it's a non-negotiable. And I think where women get tripped up is thinking it has to be this huge, like I've got to get a babysitter or I've got to set all this time, you know, aside. And the truth is, even if it's 20 minutes, like a day, you know, it's better, whether it's when they're napping and I have no problem. I'm not an electronic kind of person. Like, you know, we barely have a television, let alone any sort of, we have no sort of gaming system, but I'm not afraid to give a kid an iPad with a movie for 30 minutes so I can get a workout in. And I don't feel bad about it. I don't, because I think that I'm a better mother because of it. I'm a better friend. I'm a better daughter. I'm a better partner, all those things. Um, so I think, uh, it's making it non-negotiable in your life and less of a big thing. Like mm -hmm. it, like I said, it can be 15, 20 minutes. Oh my gosh. When I fell out of it, like right after I had my kids and I, you know, I was thinking about it. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get my, I'm going to get my first workout in. It was like six weeks after I gave birth. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to start real slow. But in my mind, it was so hard to get over the mental hump because in my mind, I was making it out to be this big thing. And then yeah. it stopped me. It hindered me from actually doing anything at all because I'd put it off, put it off. I don't have time for this big whoop-de-doo today. And yeah. actually doing that you know, getting into 20 minute workouts when I can fit them in and trying to do something every day has been so immensely helpful for me. And yeah, it makes a difference. It does. I think that when you think of it as a big thing, it just becomes overwhelming and then you just don't do it. And so I always think of wellness, you know, even outside of fitness, but nutrition and the lifestyle choices and all of the other things we, we, you know, think about for holistic health of like, what's sustainable? I mean, maybe it's not optimal. I mean, maybe, yes, I would prefer to have an hour a day, but is that sustainable? Maybe not, maybe not in this, you know, phase or chapter or session of life is 20 minutes sustainable. Yes, it is. Or is when my kids are at dance class, I can go for a walk for 40 minutes instead of sitting in my car and scrolling. Yeah, it most definitely is. And so I think it might not look like it did before you had kids. I mean, it's so funny, right? Because pure bar for me was before kids and 044 is after. So it's a very distinct time, like a very distinct time difference and chapter of life. Whereas before, like the studio life was a big part of my community and social scene. And it's mm -hmm. not anymore, right? Like I still want to go and be in person, but it's 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 very different. It, and so I think that for women after kids thinking that it's going to go back to the way it was is can also get you tripped up and you, you know, your, your body not going back the way it was as well as your, your kind of life, your workout life, it changes. Mm -hmm. Everything does. You know, 
I had to actually, well, I didn't have to. I made the decision to cancel my gym membership. So my husband and I both did that mid-COVID. And then we just, we got stuff at home. And honestly, mm-hmm. it made it so much more accessible because then I'm not getting ready, leaving the house, going to the change room, doing my workout, back to the change room, driving home. And it's literally just sneaking it in like on the floor of my living room to a group class or something online. Yeah. And it's just, it's so much easier. And I recently just, like, there are so many great activities online, like workouts for families and to do with kids. And they're so fun and goofy and the kids go crazy for them. And I was curious, like, when you integrate wellness into your life, so, you know, as a person, but how do you do that as a parent? Because, you know, you mentioned you have you barely do TV at home. So I'm assuming that that is being replaced by lots of activity. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. Right. And, and let me, let me make sure everyone knows that we are not the perfect parents for goodness sake. Like it's <laughs> by far the most challenging job I've ever had. I get my rear kicked pretty much daily, weekly, right. As soon as I think we have something figured out, we don't, Big but, time. um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, as far as fitness goes, I mean, I, I think all kids have a tendency to kind of like want to hole up sometimes, especially as they enter into those tweens and teens Mm -hmm. and if they have siblings, right. It's kind of like, Oh, I'm just going to stay in here and play with my matchbox cars. And so, um, for us, it's just not necessarily a structured exercise, but of like, move your body, Mm -hmm. you're walking dog, we're riding the bike. Like it's part of our family creed that we move our body every day, um, in a way that's appealing and not forced. Right. So it just becomes like, like I said earlier, they don't know any other way. And then the nutrition piece. I mean, we, that's a big deal in our house. Um, and it's something that both my husband and I are really passionate about because, um, I, I think the country needs a paradigm shift. That's a whole nother topic of, you know, distinguishing between kid food and adult food or, healthy versus, you know, uh, nutritious. It's like, why isn't it the same thing? You know, nutritious can be delicious. It's not like I'm going to eat some healthy things. So now I deserve, you know, an Oreo like that, you know, so they've grown up eating real food. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's important. And I think the lifestyle choice piece of it, you know, when I'm kind of walking through the pillars, I started learning these things as an adult, as a young adult, and I see that our kids need them now. Like at my kid's age, I can see that breath work helps helps them. So we learn how to breathe. You know, I have a daughter who gets anxiety before bed. So we have a list of, a checklist of if she's starting to feel anxious about going to bed, she's worried she's going to have a bad dream. You know, what are some things she can do? You know, breathing's one of them. A body scan's another one. And I just think with the world they're going to grow up in, um, including the planet health, they need to start learning stuff now. Whereas maybe we didn't till our thirties or forties, like they need it at 10 and they're capable of learning it. That's the thing. So I'm actually, I'm really curious about your anxiety before bed checklist, because we are going through a, it's this, this phase has been lasting for what four months um, with our four-year-old. She just started school. She's in junior kindergarten Every single day, it is so hard to get her into the doors of her school. And she is a sociable, happy kid, loves making friends, loves being with her friends at school, loves her teachers, but she hates the idea of having to go in the classroom every day. And she thinks she hates school. And I know she doesn't. 
and it just gives her so much anxiety because she's um she got in trouble once mildly five months ago and she hasn't been able to drop it. And I'm realizing as she gets older, she really holds on to things, any negative things, and has a really hard time getting over them. And I try to tell her, I'm like, Lucy, like, you know, mommy made mistakes all the time. I make mistakes every day still. Daddy makes mistakes every single day. And it's the only way to learn. It's the only way that we can get better and know what we like to do and what's good to do. Um, but she gets this like crippling anxiety. So I'm curious about your checklist and, and what's on it because I think I need to start implementing things like that for our uh, morning school drop-offs. Yeah, I mean, the morning the morning anxiety checklist would differ a little bit from the evening, but I think hearing your story, you know, one thing that might be helpful is um, is this mantra meditation, right? You have to find things that, that they can do like within their head without having to go to a separate place or a quiet place or... Because uh, a lot of times that stuff isn't accessible, right? So, you know, one of the things I know on my daughter's checklist we work on is that mantra of I, I am safe, I am well, all is well, kind of just she picks a phrase and just repeats it over and over again to kind of talk herself down. I mean, the body scan you could still do. You don't have to be lying down, but start from your toes, wiggle them, then, you know, tap your shins with your hand. Do you feel that like bringing yourself out of your head and into your physical body uh, for adults and for kids? I mean, I do that to myself, mm -hmm. right? For myself, if I just can't get out of my head and I find myself spiraling. Um, and if, if you wake up in the middle of the night and have a bad dream as a child or as an adult, the body scan, I think is one, you know, a really effective tool. So the breath work, the mantra meditations, which, you know, it's just, like I said, not having to go to a separate place, but just doing in your own head, the body scan, um, you know, the, they, all my kids know four, seven, eight breathe, you know, breath work. They know how to breathe that way. Of course, my, it's different for every kid. My son will tell you that breath work doesn't work for him. So <laughs> I'm like, it's science. It's scientifically proven. It does work. He's like, uh, uh, no, it doesn't have work. So we have to find, you know, other things for him. And, <laughs> although maybe he does it and he just doesn't let me know, but <laughs> out of spite, he lets it work out of spite. Yeah. Or I know another thing for my girls is thinking about their favorite things. Mm -hmm. um, or replaying their day, like from start to finish. Well, what did you do first this morning? Oh, well, I had breakfast with my mom, you know, and it, it's just getting your mind into a different place for, for all of us. No, I like that. I like that so much. Yeah. Cause we, we've tried different things. Nothing's been really helping so far, but I haven't gone like the meditation breath work route yet. Although I, I know she likes meditation. They do meditation in her classroom every day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, and I know she likes it. like it's short it's like a five minute thing and I've been I've seen it, it like in practice and it's amazing all these like wild little four and five year olds all just taking a second to kind of reconnect and calm down it is an incredible teaching tool yeah yeah it's pretty awesome one other thing I thought we've used before school is um a physical reminder like if they're just have you know having anxiety, you know, and I also try to say feelings of anxiety. So they don't feel like they're an anxious kid, but like, oh, are you experiencing, are you having feelings of anxiety? And I, I try to be intentional with that language that we all have feelings of anxiety. Doesn't mean you're always anxious, yeah. but like, I'll give them one of just like my, you know, cheapy beaded bracelets. And so for them, it's almost like a slightly like a whoopee, but every time they look at it, I think it's just that physical reminder of like, 
okay, I have support, you know, I have someone on my team, I'm good, I'm going to be okay. No, I love that. I love that so much. And you know, you brought up and like, it's a huge topic, but I kind of want to focus in on one little part of it, but just about how we need a paradigm shift and how we see kids and nutrition and just how they're brought up. And obviously a huge part of that is kids and activity, just kids and movement. So many people are so sedentary and they just, you know, it's phones and TV and everything is just so easy, like whole social networks for kids. I have met countless kids who do not even have friends in real life. All their friends are on their games or whatever. And it is kind of scary. So if we can just go there for a minute and talk about why it is so important for kids to have some kind of aspect of movement in their life. And also, what would you tell your kids if they were like on the couch and just did not want to get up and go do something active as a family? How do you mm-hmm. how do you get over that? <laughs> it probably depends on what age your kids are, right? <laughs> yeah. So, a little bit more like, you know, uh moldable essentially at my at the age my kids are at now versus when they get to the teen years. But I think that's why it's so important at these years because when you make it a part of their routine now, then there it's just gonna be a part of their routine forever. Um, I'm hoping. I don't know, I'm not there yet. Um, but the yeah, the paradigm shifts both as far as movement and nutrition goes. It's a big one. And, you know, now they're saying that you've probably heard people have coined the term like um, sitting is the new smoking. Mm-hmm, I have so, heard that. You know, sitting is going to be the smoking of our generation. And I believe it because you see like already how much they sit in school. And then if they're sitting to do homework mm-hmm. and they're on fast forward, let's say they're on their phones, they're on their tablets, they're on their computers and they're on their gaming systems. It's just so much sitting. Yeah. That it's a real issue. You know, I know there's a lot of progressive schools out there. Like when we lived in Denver, there was one called GALS, the Girls Athletic Leadership School, and they had spin bikes in the rooms and they, they started every day out with a workout at the CrossFit next door. And so I think there's some progressive thinking out there. It's by no means is it even close to mainstream. Yeah. Right? Um, so, but, but I don't think it's that difficult to start to build this stuff in to, for everybody, the public school system, the private school system, the parochial, all of them. I, and then, you know, the other, other piece of that is what they're serving for food at these schools. Uh, it's, it's not good. It's really not good. And, um, I, I think people get apprehensive about going extreme and then having food that's so healthy that it goes to waste and the kids don't eat it, which I think is a real issue, right? So it's like, where do you find the middle ground of, of where people or kids are going to eat it? And it's also on the healthier side of things. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a paradigm shift. I, I pack my kids lunches. We pack our kids lunches and they go to a great school, but I, I wouldn't get them the hot lunch. Yeah. Right. And like, there were definitely days where my, my son, my son would come home and be like, so-and-so made front of my broccoli. Do I have to bring broccoli? And I would say, wouldn't it be amazing? And not that I'm advocating kids to make fun of each other, but I said, wouldn't it be amazing if one day in this world, while you're living, that you came to school with that. And it was the kid who brought the Cheetos that got made fun of because everyone else had broccoli. Like, wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, not that I want, again, mm-hmm. not that no, I want of course, any of course. Kids to make fun of, but it's like, when is that going to be the norm, you know? Okay, Carrie, we're going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. 
We are supported by True Earth. If you listen to our podcast, you know that Shane and I have been trying to reduce our environmental footprint. And one way we're doing this is through eliminating single-use plastics in our household. Because with two kids and Shane and I being, you know, chaotic people, everything adds up so quickly. So the first little step that we took in, you know, our sustainability journey was by eliminating the plastic jugs of laundry detergent. Because again, they add up. They're messy. They're cumbersome. They take up so much space. So we switched over to True Earth Laundry Detergent. It comes in these little soluble strips that you simply rip apart, toss in the machine. They work so amazing. And the best part, that there's no plastic. It's true. (laughs) (laughs) There's not. It's really fantastic. And really, it is so easy. And it is still so tough on dirt without having to use all the water in the production because everything is just very concentrated. And as a family with kids who have really sensitive skin, we opt for the baby detergent because it's fragrance-free, gentle on everybody's skin, and it's still so tough on stains. Our clothes come out smelling great and crispy clean. So check out True Earth Detergent at true.earth and use the promo code thisfamilytree10 to get 10% off your order. You're going to love this product. Take our word for it. Again, that is true.earth and thisfamilytree10. And now let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, for for that to be the thing that, that people are doing and just that shift in how we view food and, and how we view kids' food. And it is so hard. Like my kids, when they were babies, were eating. Oh my gosh, Carrie, they were like beautiful eaters. I would put any weird thing in front of them, you know, like an adult food, quote unquote, and they would eat it and love it as like babies. And then when they turn into toddlers... Those terrible twos, which my youngest is currently going through right now, it's like, no, they want beige. They want pasta with butter. They want chicken plain with nothing on it. They want Mm -hmm. potatoes. And it's like, it's really hard to get back in that cycle of good eating. I thought that I was like, I had it figured out. I was like, I got this. Look at me. I thought I thought parents complained about how hard it was to feed their kids. Look at me. They're eating kale and they're eating fish and eggs and what, whatever stuff. And yeah. uh, it totally flipped on me. And now I feel like a jackass. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the crux of motherhood? Feeling uh, like a jackass? Yes. Yeah, for, all the time. Um yeah, I know. I, I get it. And things changed. I mean, listen, my, my twins were preemies. They were so tiny. And it was like, I had to do all that I could to get any food in them, like stand on my head with firecrackers. They just were not interested in eating. Um, I'm like, these kids, how are they ever going to grow? They can't survive on air. It was so stressful, so stressful. Um, but I think that, you know, as long as you're serving real food, you're in, you're headed in the right direction. And that's, Cause, you know, we started this, this youth wellbe program and that's the nutrition piece of it is that is not like food shaming. And you know, certainly you don't expect no kid to have any sort of hiccups when it comes to food or, you know, parents can try their best and still struggle, but it's more, it's more so of like teaching kids what's real versus what's processed and what's the degree of processed. And can you read the ingredients on the label list? Like, and how much sugar is in that? Just those things. And then what can this food do for your body? You know, you are, are you getting tired by the time math comes around? Well, what did you have for snack? And well, why don't you have this for snack today and see how you feel during math? 
Uh, and just teaching them, like drawing that parallel, that connection of, oh yeah, actually food, food is fuel and it does impact how I run or how I think or how much energy I have. Uh, Cause then it's like less of a push and more of an interest on their end of like, yeah. you know, oh, this is gonna, you know, help me feel more alert or this is gonna help me be faster than I'm neat this way. Yeah. So this program, this is another program we're running. And where are you doing this out of? Like, is this? Yeah, we're just starting it. I I have a studio in Carmel in California. And um, so we're running the programming out of here as a a pilot program. Um, And I'm, I'm working on getting it online so parents could run it you know, like you could run it for your kids at home because this programming with the curriculum of it, you could absolutely do it. You don't need Mm -hmm. someone like myself running it, you know? And is it all nutrition based? No. So each there it's workshops. There's a theme every month because, you know, kids love themes. I love themes and um, moms. I think it's fun. So one of the most fun parts about being a mom when they're younger is all the themed stuff. Like you get to get back into Valentine's Day time. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, And so each month has a theme and each workshop there, you cover the four pillars. So for the fitness pillar, there'd be, you do an, you do a workout an 044 workout, plus usually some sort of jog, whether it's a turkey trot or flashlight tag or some sort of relay, like you're outside in nature, moving your body. And then you move to the nutrition piece and it is, it's a different lesson every time. Um, so for example, the last one we did was they learned about macronutrients. I mean, to be 10 to 14 and learning about macronutrients, I think it's pretty cool. So like, what's the protein on your plate? What does it do for you? What's the carb on your plate? What does it do? What's the fat? And so they learned that. Uh, and then they moved to the lifestyle choice piece, which is something different every month. So for example, in November, it was, it was, you know, how do we practice gratitude, which made sense for Thanksgiving, right? Yep. And they gratitude jars, we've got glass jars, they painted them, all that stuff. And then they learn about planet health. So amazing. how to have a, you know, more eco-friendly Thanksgiving, maybe not use paper plates, maybe use the leaves from outside as decor and that thing. So they cover each pillar, but it's fun. I know it sounds heavy, but it's really not. So what, so the, the four, cause I mean, I'm like not in the fitness world. I am an active person. I'm a, I'm a pretty fit person, but I'm not in the fitness world. And like, I don't know, I just eat nutritiously. So like even yeah. I, I don't even really look at macro and micronutrients, anything like that. Like I just you know what I mean? I just I know what's healthy. I kind of just eat that way. But yeah. four pillars of fitness. Can you just go over what those are for a lay person yeah. like me? Yes. And perhaps I, I think it's that I haven't been that clear because four it's four pillars of well-being with okay. fitness being one of them. OK. And these are not like, you know the be all end all, this is kind of what I've synthesized it down to for myself over all these years. I've done deep dives into all the areas of well-being. And when I look at it and think for myself, what does it take for me to be well with the overwhelming amount of information out there and categories you could, to me, it's like, well, here I can synthesize it into these four buckets, fitness, like, you know, how I'm exercising, how I'm moving. And you can also include in their cognitive fitness, how are you exercising your brain, which is something I think more and more about, right. As I'm getting older, um, nutrition and not the technical nutrition stuff, maybe macro and micro is, is, is as technical as we get, but it's more like eat real food, most, mostly from plants. What does process look like? Know what that food's fuel and what it can do for your body. 
And then lifestyle choices. And that kind of encompasses sleep and breath work and journaling and flow, uh, nature, those sort of things, mm-hmm. little decisions you can make on a daily basis, as I call those lifestyle choices and then planet health. Right. And so that that's the last pillar. And we, you know, we talk about efforts in, in making the planet a healthier place to live. I think it's something that this generation, um, is going to be, you know, dealing with even more so than ours. And hopefully they're the innovators mm-hmm. for a lot of this. Oh my God. I right? hope so. Yeah. So, yeah. So the earlier they start to learn it, the better, but you know, there's X amount of things that we're working against, um, even like toxins in our products, I would put in planet health. So helping them just understand that of like why we don't want to be putting everything in plastic bottles and, um, that sort of thing. So that's how we break it down. Otherwise it's just like, we started this conversation. It becomes so much that it's like paralysis. 100%. But I I think that it's, like we said earlier, kids are so receptive to this stuff and they can, they have the ability to understand so much more than I think we often give them credit for. And I think that it's such a great idea to be implementing this. And I really love the idea of that program because, you know, and just the way that you're kind of describing it, like it's something that you kind of do with your kid and you're so active in it together. And it sounds fun it sounds like there's lots of good activities, which is just all stuff you need to get them on board. And then once they're on board, like my kids love helping out in the kitchen. They love, you know, help when I am tidying up the house even. And I think just getting them on board is a a huge step. So I think that's really cool. I wish you luck with that. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I love to see it all over. It would be great if the schools could run it at some point. Right. But um, I, it's going to take time. And like I said, it's going to take a paradigm shift, but every little, every little thing counts. So we'll just keep chipping away at it. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I, I think it's happening and like already the schools in the high schools in our board, uh, where we live outside of Toronto, um, the majority of them have now changed their cafeterias where it's only healthy stuff. Like there's one or two schools where it's still like, you can go get burgers, fries, the all the fried stuff but the majority of them have now switched their kitchens over to only fresh and healthy foods um and then a couple schools they run the entire meal program and then they make fresh hot meals every day as a part of like their curriculum for the cooking course and then it's awesome but so i mean it's already starting here so i'm hoping that it makes its way over to the states on more of a public scale too because these are public schools Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm hopeful. The more people talking about it, the better chance we have. Well, like like with everything, it's amazing. But seriously, Carrie, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your story, everything you know. You're like a breath of fresh, energetic air. And I got to go pick up my kid after this, but I'm going to sit her down and do Pilates with me in the living room. (laughs) Um, But where can people go to get in your programs, to see you on the internet, socials, any presence you have? Yeah, well, I just got on social media. It's you know, based on uh, the earlier conversation about electronics. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's a reel? I don't even know what that is. Okay, <laughs> video. I have to like, I've really, it's been a big leap for me. So um, I just started an Instagram. It's 044 way um, and it's 044way.com. The O, it's like, a you know, not, not the number zero. It's the letter O and then 44. The O is actually for Michelle Obama. 
Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. And 44 in, in numerology is a, uh, when you apply it to businesses, a business that is created and designed to help others. And so that's, um, that's what the O and the 44 are. So it's O44way.com. It's a website and the Instagram. Hit, I just hit the follow button. I'm excited about this. And wait, oh. can I ask, I want to ask, so what is the Michelle Obama connection? Is she just an inspiring figure? What is that to your program? Yes. Well, when I think of a person that represents the brand, it's her just, you know, strong, graceful, sophisticated, intelligent, always takes the high road. Just, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but yeah, I think to me, she embodies the brand, what 044 is all about the brand. I love that so much. I'm I'm a big Michelle fan. I love that so much, but Mm -hmm. Carrie, truly again, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate you having on, having you on today. And it was very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thank you. And that was our interview with Carrie Dora. I hope you all enjoyed that. I thought she was such a wealth of info and just inspiration. I love hearing about female entrepreneurs, any entrepreneur. You know, those stories just, they're exciting. They get me. Um, And in lieu of, you know, you could probably tell I was feeling a little bit off in the intro, which I totally am today. It's been so difficult, like getting in a little car accident, even though it was small and the outcome was ultimately fine. It just, it, it gets to me. So I'm actually recording this right now a couple days after because I had tried to do the mailbag segment and I was a mess. I was an emotional mess. So now I'm doing this a few days later, feeling a little bit uh, better about things. And I'm just going to quickly tell you the story of the accident Oh, Lucy's joining me. It's a PA date. Lucy, you have to go and watch that, please. No, Lucy, you have to go in the other room, okay? But when you're done, don't turn that off because I need to make something too and and make the stuff the same because I'm going to do something with the exact same stuff. Okay, honey, thank you. Lucy's uh, trying to be mommy today where she's doing everything I'm doing. But anyway, I tried to do the mailbag segment I couldn't get through it. So I'm going to save those questions for next week. And I'm going to end it here with the story. So like I said in the intro, it was my fault. The accident was my fault. I am so and was at the time so humiliated and so embarrassed because like I said, I was going, you know, one and a half miles per hour just trying to get out of this parking lot, Austin Power style. And I just the end of my car scraped up against another parent's car in the school parking lot, which makes it worse because I see this person every day at pickup. So I'm like, oh, just losing it. And I take a look, you know, at the window in the, in the car. And obviously the person is upset. I pop out of my car. We assess the damage really quick. And I took off a sizable piece of paint um, in a scratch. And it took everything in me not to start crying. I felt so bad, right? So like I said, I parked, we get out, we're talking and I'm like, Hey, I've never been in this position before. Like I've never hit somebody else's car. What do I do? What do you need from me? And she's like, Hey, I've never been in this position either. And what I, what really stood out during this whole interaction was just how, like she was upset, but how kind she was and how patient and nice she was. We even got a little laugh in there at one point. And then she's like, look, I'm, I'm just going to ask my husband. And I said, okay, take my number. I'm going to, I'm going to text you right now from my phone. So, you know, you have my number. T- 
talk to your husband and then you can let me know how we're going to proceed. And I was down for anything, right? Because it was my fault. I felt like an absolute idiot, still do. Anyway, she texts me back like an hour later and says, hey, Alexandra, I just want to say, don't worry about it. My jaw, guys, hit the floor. The second I read that, I just burst into tears. I'm telling you, burst into tears. When do you run into somebody who is willing to just brush something like that? It was significant damage too. Not significant, but you know what I mean? And I just, I couldn't believe, number one, my luck. Number two, her kindness. And number three, just the position I was in. So then I start freaking out and you know, I call Shane and I'm sobbing on the phone. And he's like, what? Like, are they taking you to court? And I said, no, she said not to worry about it. And I don't know what to do. This is too much. It's too overwhelming. Her kindness is too overwhelming. And uh, then I called my dad, messaged my cousins, my brother, and I'm just getting everybody's opinions. Because if you do that to somebody, they still ultimately have to take their car in at some point. Or if they don't, I mean, their car isn't what it was before you got involved. So you can't just sit on that. And I think... I just want to say this for anybody listening too. If you find yourself in this position, somebody is like, don't worry about it. I think you have to give them a token. You can't just let it go and be like, whoa, I got lucky and walk away. You have to give them a token of thanks if you can, because they're saving your butt by not, you know, taking it the full way, getting a new paint job, everything. That's a huge stress reliever. So I was talking to everybody and, you know, Some people were like, oh, maybe get an Uber Eats gift certificate, blah, 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 different things. My dad said, envelope with cash. You know, the amount you can determine, minimum 100, whatever. So I gave her an envelope with some cash in it. And she so reluctantly took it. I I put it in her hands the next drop off that I saw her and ran in the other direction because she was trying to give it back. And I just told her I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I felt so guilty. I was humiliated and her kindness, I don't want to go unnoticed. So I said, use it for the car, use it for some wine, use it for some takeout, whatever. And guys, I think I made a friend through this whole situation that had me so distraught that I couldn't even podcast the other day. I think I made a friend out of this. So anyway, still feeling humiliated, but feeling... I don't know, hopeful about like people, humanity, um, you know, whoever being on my side, God or karma, whatever. And yeah, it, it was nice. And now, you know, in the one or two times that I've seen her after school, it's been like really nice to go up and chat with her. And I hate how I had to meet her because I feel so bad, but she's a really great person. And it it's kind of worked out in this really funny way. Anyway, the last time I saw her, I did accidentally scratch her. So I told her, I was like, hey, I'm bad for you. I should probably stay out of your life. But um, she's a very nice person. And that's how that whole thing worked out. But folks, stay tuned for next week. We will get back to the mailbag segment. And we're going to start changing things up a little. We used to do podcasts called Date Nights during the pandemic, where Shane and I every Wednesday would open up a bottle of wine and just do a total fun pod. And friends, I think we're going to start getting back into that as a regular pod. I think I'm going to take some things from the date night and make that in the podcast formula. 
stay tuned fun things ahead i cannot wait and thank you all for listening to episode 163 i did that wrong see what happens without shane (laughs) thank you for listening to this family tree podcast episode 163 take care guys